You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Listen, this is a process that must begin at an early age because it's during those formative years as children are growing uh, up where their character is formed by the Lord. And so this is a responsibility that's laid upon us as parents. We need to instill that godly heritage within each and every one of our children. As we study the book of 1 Samuel, our focus naturally shifts to Samuel and his inclination towards obedience to God and the great ways that God used him. But as Pastor Michael point out in today's message, there are two very important people in Samuel's life who maybe don't get as much acknowledgement as they're due. His parents, Hannah and Elkanah, weren't perfect. No parents are. But the way they surrendered their son over to God sets a great example for all of us. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3 as he continues his message, Your Servant Hears. Oh, my heart not be troubled, I remember. Putting this uh, phrase, your ears will tingle in relationship to other portions of Scripture throughout the Bible, this suggests that there is a severe judgment that's about uh, to uh, fall. And, uh, and of course, that severe judgment was upon Eli and his household and his, and his two sons. Like, for example, as a cross-reference for this, this whole idea of our ears tingling, In the book of Jeremiah, for example, if you'll quickly turn there with me, in Jeremiah 19 and verse 3, because of God's people, Israel, backsliding, in Jeremiah chapter 19, in verse 3, we read, And say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it his ears will tingle. So whenever you see that phrase uh, being used, it mostly uh, suggests that judgment is about to uh, fall. And here in context, it relates to Eli and his uh, sons. Now in verse 12, in that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to uh, end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. He didn't do anything about it. He never removed his sons because his sons made themselves vile 
and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or for offering forever. In other words, there's not going to be any intercession on behalf of Eli or either his sons. In other words, it's too late. Judgment has been sealed. Now, this raises an interesting question for us. Do we ever come to a place where our sins cannot be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever? Well, the answer to that question is only if we reject the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. You know, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, in verse 26, there we are told, if we reject the work of Christ for us, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But anyway, as it relates to Eli and his sons, it was too late. Their judgment was sealed. There was no intercession available uh, for them. Now, so the message given to Samuel, now remember, he's speaking to Samuel here. It's God speaking to Samuel. It must have been terrifying for him. The rejection, the denunciation of the man he had come to love. Remember when his mom and dad, Elkanah and Hannah, gave young Samuel to minister uh, there in the tabernacle alongside of Eli. He was only three years old. So nine years had already passed. And during those nine years, he formed a bond with Eli, the high priest. Eli took care of him, watched over him, counseled him, prepared him for the work that he was uh, given by God to do. And I'm sure that uh, Samuel loved Eli. And so this must have been terrifying for him. That is the rejection, the denunciation of the man that he had come to love. What was about to take uh, place. What was that? The prophecy that's recorded for us, remember last time in 1 Samuel in chapter 2, verses 27 through 36. And that prophecy was to be carried out from beginning to end. And what was that? Well, there was a curse that was pronounced upon all of Eli's descendants. None would live a long life. They would always be in want. And his two sons would be killed simultaneously. And so Eli's son's fate had been sealed. Their persistent, perverse conduct was to reap its inevitable harvest. They were going to be wiped out together in the same day. Listen, iniquity is never forgotten by God. Let me say this again. Don't confuse God's long-suffering and patience with his forgetfulness. And Eli's ministry would be taken from him and given to another faithful priest. And who was that other faithful priest? It was Samuel. And then in verses 15 through 21, let's pick up there. So Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him about the impending judgment. And he said, this is uh, Eli now responding to this news, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And so Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. 
and all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba. And Dan was located in the northernmost part of Israel. Uh, Bathsheba in the uh, southernmost part of uh, Israel. Uh, the equivalent of that would, would be here in the United States from California to New York City. That Samuel had been established as the prophet of the Lord. And then once again, the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord reveals himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Well, let's go back now to our text. Let me break it down for you. You can be sure Samuel, after receiving this message from the Lord about this impending judgment, didn't get much sleep the remainder of the night. The next morning, Eli, according to verse 17, prevailed upon Samuel to tell him what the Lord had revealed to Samuel. And I'm sure Samuel was a little bit hesitant to do that. But notice there in verse 18, the way that Eli responded, as I've already mentioned, he said, let him do what seems good to him. In other words, Eli submitted to, without a murmur to the divine sentence that had been pronounced upon him and his sons, leaving himself and his household in the hands of God. You see, Eli's sons had ignored the inevitable righteous judgment that falls upon all who devote themselves to satisfying their own lustful desires. Their conscience has become dead to the real issues of life. For them, there was no uh, coming back. They handled their ministries abusively, alienating those who had a heart for God. I mean, could you imagine? You know, here were people who really loved God, who wanted to come uh, before God there at the tabernacle and offer their sacrifices. But as they came to the tabernacle to meet with God, to offer their sacrifices, it, it became a detestable uh, occupation. Why? Because of these vile sons of Eli and their actions. And in the end, they died at the hands of the Lord. They were slaughtered by the Philistines, we are told in the next uh, chapter. But can you imagine that? You know, the priest allowing something like, the equivalent of that would be like, you know, you, you, you love the Lord, you want to learn of the Lord, you want to worship the Lord, you want to come to harvest on a Sunday morning, but because of all of the wrong, crazy things that are going on here in our church, and I hope there is none of those things going on, in I'm, not, I'm just using this as an example or an illustration, when you walk in the, in the door before you leave and you're thinking, it wasn't good to be in the house of the Lord at all. That was their experience. People who really loved the Lord, who really wanted to know the Lord, who wanted to offer their sacrifices to the Lord, to really worship the Lord. Well, anyway, once again, the pendulum swung, and it's time again to focus our attention upon Samuel, who's gaining in reputation before men and before God, and he is marked out as God's new masterpiece, uh, mouthpiece. You see that there in the, in the last couple of verses of this chapter. Now, this raises an important question. How did this happen? And how was it that Samuel was now become God's mouthpiece? Well, once again, let's go back to verse 1 there in chapter 3. It begins with a statement to the effect that communication from the Lord was rare and visions were infrequent. That's what happened because of the corruption of the priesthood, the hardness of the people's heart there in Israel. But then notice the chapter closes in verses 19 through 21, and we are told all of Israel knew 
that Samuel was the man through which God had chosen to reveal his will. And so once again, uh, something new was about to take place there in Shiloh. Once again, God was going to reveal himself through Samuel to his people. Once again, God was going to speak to his people. You know, this reminds me, in a similar way, describing David as a man after God's own heart. Uh, In our Thursday evening service, last Thursday evening service, we talked about that, the testimony that God had concerning his servant, uh, David. And he described him in that way. What a beautiful way to be described. David was a man after God's own heart, determined, committed to doing only God's will. And, uh, you know, I think that that description would also apply of uh, Samuel. And by the way, that description of David is recorded for us in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, where uh, Paul is rehearsing the brief history of the nation of, of Israel. And then he, you know, going through that, uh, he begins with uh, uh, God through his mighty hand, uh, delivering his people out of Egypt through his servant Moses and the various plagues that came upon them that broke the back of uh, Pharaoh and to let God's people go and how that he sustained them for a period of 40 years in the, in the wilderness and he put up with their murmuring and their complaining and then finally he brought them into the land of promise, the land of, of Canaan and he went before them and he drove out their enemies, uh, the various other people that were there in the land of, of Canaan and then he allotted uh, portions of the land to the various tribes, and and so he's rehearsing the, you know, the uh, his uh, the history, a brief history of the nation of Israel, and then he begins to talk about uh, the period of time known as the judges, and how that the judges became the leaders of the the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel, and then it comes down to Samuel, right, and uh, so he's rehearsing a brief history, a summary of the uh, history of the nation of Israel, and then finally he 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 mentions how that. Uh, Israel was uh, uh, petitioning God that they might give him, uh, give them a king. And so Saul becomes the first king of, uh, over Israel. But because of Saul's disobedience, he's replaced by David. And David there is recommended to us as a man after God's own heart. Which brings us to Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, if you were with us last Thursday. So similarities between the two. David, as well as Samuel. So Samuel here is singled out by the Lord as a person who would do according to all that was in God's heart and mind. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 35. This is what God was seeking for then. But listen, it hasn't changed. God is still looking today for a man or a woman after God's own heart that will do only his will. Notice there what it says in chapter 2 in verse Uh, 35, chapter 2, in verse 35. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will uh, build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And so God, while Samuel was growing up, was working in his life to will and to do of his good pleasure. And uh, that's a cross-reference for you, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. That's the same work that God is wanting to do in each and every one of our lives. God is wanting, he's working within each and every one of us to will and to do 
of his good pleasure. Now, this morning, that brings us to our fourth and our final point, and that is principles for spiritual growth. So let's you know, consider uh, Samuel, and what were the things that contributed to Samuel's spiritual growth? And those same things, those same principles apply to us as well. If we want to go on in our walk in our relationship with the Lord, if we want to become the men and women that God wants us to become. I mean, think about it. Samuel is certainly an illustration of the continuous positive growth of a righteous man. So let's define, let's consider that process. First of all, I would remind you that he was trained at his mother's knee. And so that brings us to, under this heading of uh, principles that contribute to our spiritual growth, Samuel was given a sense of purpose for his life at an early age, so that when he was presented before the Lord at Shiloh, there at the tabernacle, his response was one of worship. Now, this was something that was instilled within him by his parents. Notice there in chapter 1, let's go back quickly, rehearse this once more for you. Chapter 1 in verse 28, and this is a repeated characteristic of Samuel's family, even under difficult uh, circumstances. Remember, the priesthood had become corrupted. You know, they, weren't, they never really looked forward to going up to Shiloh to offer up their sacrifices yearly because of the things that were going on. But nevertheless, they went. But this is one of the chief features, uh, one of the repeated characteristics of Samuel's mom and dad. Notice what it says in chapter 1 and verse 28. And so they worshiped the Lord there. So that was something that was instilled within Samuel at an early age. In other words, he was given a sense of purpose for his life. Listen, this is a process that must begin at an early age. Because it's during those formative years, as children are growing up, where their character is formed by the Lord. And so this is a responsibility that's laid upon us as parents. We need to instill that godly heritage within each and every one of our children. His progress from this time on, even as a youth, was marked by diligence. The second thing that I want to draw your attention to, remember now we're addressing the subject of principles of spiritual growth. The second thing that I want to draw your attention to was Samuel's development of a strong internal God consciousness. Now, how does that happen? Well, you know, I think it happens like in a service like this one, in our own personal study time. You know, as as I mentioned before, as we put ourselves in that position where God can speak to us, and uh, we we form this uh, intimate relationship that we have with God in communion with him, and, and, uh, and I think all of those things contribute to the development of a strong internal God consciousness. I mean, we're all aware of God working within our lives, his hand being upon us, right? He showed himself uh, in that way in all of us. If that wasn't the case, he wouldn't even be here this morning. Well, anyway, before long, God moved Eli to place an aphod, that is the uh, priesthood garment, upon Samuel, chapter 2 and verse 18, we are told that. And from that day forward, Eli, or rather Samuel, was recognized as a priest. So in spite of the corrupting influences of Eli's sons and his environment, 
He refused evil and he retained his integrity. Another thing that I want to draw your attention to as it relates to principles for our spiritual growth was that Samuel walked in a reverential awe of God, you know, recognizing that he was responsible uh, to God, that nothing was hid from God's sight, which prevented Samuel from making the wrong choices. And how important it is that we develop this kind of character within our own lives, walking in a reverential awe of God, acknowledging, recognizing the fact that God is always with us, that God is always watching. Uh, Samuel truly lived a balanced life. And as Samuel grew, he accepted more and more responsibility, responding gladly and faithfully for his additional duties that had been given to him by God. And when God chose to reveal his will to and through him, and this brings us to our fourth and final point under this heading of the things that contribute to our spiritual growth, he observed all that the Lord told him to do. How do we respond when God speaks to us? You know, do we blow it off? Do we write it off? We tell him later, God, you know, there are other things going on in my life that I want to take care of. Or do we immediately respond the way that God wants us to respond? Samuel observed all that the Lord told him to do. And so no wonder his reputation spread throughout all of Israel. Why? Because you see, God had not now gotten hold of the instrument through which he wanted to work. He was marked out by God. No matter what the issue, no matter what the problem, question, danger, Temptation, Samuel's response before God was the right one. Gang, these are the principles for spiritual growth. And in the final analysis, Samuel's life demonstrates that God honors those who honor him. And those who treat him as unimportant are themselves valued as of trifling worth. Just quickly go back to chapter 2. Once again, in verse 30, the latter part of verse 30, notice what it says there. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Listen, in this thought, we find there is encouragement for us as well as a warning. Let's close it out in a word of prayer. Father, may our experience be like Samuel's. Help us to realize our purpose is to know and to declare, broadcast your name, that we might have a strong consciousness of your presence within our lives, walking reverentially before you and ready to do your will. God, do that work within each and every one of us. For we ask these things of you in the name of Jesus. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my The book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith, David. First Samuel's book of action and adventure 
but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House. Oh